Hey everybody, how's it going? Thanks for joining me this afternoon. I've got a great stream with a guest I think you're really going to enjoy. Now, we've talked a lot in this corner of the internet about the need for alternative institutions. You know, lots of analysis, lots of understanding, lots of explaining, but we've talked a lot also about the need for building. And I thought I'd bring on someone who is involved in the work of building who would be very interesting for you guys. Matthew Peterson, thanks for joining me, man. Hey, it's great to be here. A uh, great admirer of your, your work. Oh, well, thank you very much. And I'm very glad that you're doing the work you're doing, which is why I wanted to have you on. I think it's so important to not just talk about all of the different things we're analyzing and all of the problems and everything about that, but also solutions. And you're somebody who has a lot going on, and we're going to get deep into that. But before we do, for people who are maybe a little less familiar with your work, could you give a little bit of background? Yeah. So two years ago, I uh, moved from California to Texas. Uh, I, I, it was just a random random occurrence. You know, taxes were lower. Uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, um, really came to Texas to found new founding. Uh, and the goal of new founding um, is really a, to, to be the venture studio we need to create the things we need, particularly, particularly in media, tech and finance, but to solve some of the problems that, uh, you know, that prevent, uh, let's call it a, uh, you know, an aligned economy from emerging and an aligned culture from emerging. And there's similar problems that lots of businesses face. And so we tackle those head on. We connect people, we connect talent, we connect capital uh, aligned to aligned investors to businesses. And we, we basically like created the venture studio that was like, let's try to do all the things, right? Uh, and, and really went to town in the last two years. And now we have some, you know, emerging, some things work, some things didn't work, but now we have kind of an emerging picture of uh, uh you know of some things that really are working and I, I, does that make sense i mean that may not be specific i feel like probably some of the audience is like yes and some is no uh, what are you talking about but you know in, in venture you're trying to build what you think is going to work and what's needed and we felt like uh you know practically in the commercial cultural space we need a new movement that is really in a way similar to esg or social justice that is struggling to break forth, moving in a different direction. And, uh, and we're, we want to birth that baby. So uh, we're, we'll get into a lot of that, but for people who are unfamiliar, what is your background in? Are you, are you someone who's a businessman? Are you someone advertising finance? Like where, where did you kind of build this skill set that's going to allow you to kind of move this forward? Yeah, exactly. So I was involved in uh, a lot of media and, and politics really is my is my background, mm -hmm. um, and uh, and I'm very entrepreneurial along the way. Like I built you know little things here and there. Um, so my role at New Founding is more on that side of things. It's to see the strategic positioning uh, and to match right uh, to match the people uh, together, and also just a general entrepreneurial general partner kind of thing where I come up with ideas and experiment. Um, so. Uh, you know, my background is varied. I mean, I, I started out wanting to um, save the world in education. Um, you may, uh, you may be familiar with this phenomenon. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. And, um, you know, I was torn between going into politics, but I thought, you know, 
people just go straight into politics. Like that's weird. You know, I, I was smart enough to realize like that's, that's not right. Uh, something wrong with that. You got to do stuff. And so, but I, but I was, I was drawn to ideas. And so I was drawn to understand more about the founding and how to place it in terms of political philosophy. Um, and I thought that, you know, shaping the university was very important. I still do. Um, but I soon realized along the way, as I did other entrepreneurial things that I had skills in, in uh, communication and uh, communication strategy, and then doing a lot of online stuff from a very young age. Um, uh, you know, I was a sued uh, well before <laughs> that was a thing on Twitter. Uh, before Twitter existed, I was a sued. Um, and I, I uh, made money off of that, too, because I was uh, getting involved in journalism and consulting and doing all kinds of shady things. Um, so so anyway, along the way, I would go do these more entrepreneurial things and I'd say media and politics and consulting. And then and then I was still in education until I realized that uh, much too late. I wish I'd realized it sooner uh, that there really wasn't an end game there because the only way to change education is to be in charge uh, and wield power from the top. Uh, you're certainly not going to do that from the bottom by convincing anyone. And that means you've got to be on a board or a president, right? Or, you know, administrator who is very good friends with the board and president. And as soon as I realized that the hard way in microcosm, I was like, I'm done. You know, I'm done with this. Like, this doesn't make any sense. Plus, the world's falling apart, you know. Uh, and so, you know, so politics and, and media with, uh, with a, a kind of crazy varied experience in between and this academic background that I slowly left behind. Excellent. So I'm going to pitch you a few softballs. They may seem obvious, but I feel like there are still a lot of people who aren't completely on board or don't completely understand the essential nature of kind of this approach. So uh, we'll, we'll start from that uh, zoomed out view and then we'll kind of uh, move in and get more specific. So why do we need this approach? Why don't we just win an election and like, have a president and pass some bills and then we can just get back to kind of the 1950s like why is it essential to have this uh you know all-encompassing approach or this approach where you are uh, you know looking at uh, commercialization networking all these different things why do we just have this you know political solution that kind of puts everything back on track yeah well the the short answer is is because you live in a system that is so corrupt uh, that corruption is what it is normalized and what it's become. Uh, no politician is going to save you at this point. Um, no, no, you know, I like to tell uh, conservative audiences, you know, Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis, neither of them are going to save you. Put them in the White House tomorrow. And the reason for that is that you have an apparatus that has uh, changed over a very long period of time, in some cases, uh, you know, some, sometimes slowly and then suddenly. Um, but it's a it's a it's a system that's encrusted. It, it's it's enthroned. Uh, it's enshrined. And in that system, you know, where how power flows uh, is is just not really directly related to who comes into that office. And so I still think those things are important. I don't discount them. I'm not someone who says, oh, well, you know, it, it's all over. Um, but the party is a vehicle to be used. Political parties. And politicians, frankly, for the most part, are going to be pushed forward. Uh, they're going to be symbolic of actual the actual flow of power and, and victory and, and the real battle almost at the end of that, right? Almost like almost like a bobber on the current. Like that's the mm. politics, you know? 
So I, I've just come to the conclusion that the system is, is set up in such a way that they don't have the ability to, they don't have a magic wand to wave. Uh, and, you know, I, I consider myself someone, who, I guess I know a lot of people in that world and formally studied it even, if that matters, which it doesn't. Uh, but also, um, you know, also have examined it over the, over the, the you know, experience, interacted with this system. So the, 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 there's no way you solve the problem with law at this point uh, when when law has shaped something that's bigger than law, which is, you know, the contours of the entire, let's call it the actual constitution of the regime, the actual form or structure of the society in which you live has calcified into something that cannot be changed uh, by, by moving politicians around, uh, you know. Yeah, I think that's really important for people to hear. Again, it, it may feel obvious to some of us, but it's really essential, I think, when people it's it's especially because of the nature, I think, of like political talk radio and, and TV and that kind of things. You know, the horse race thing is just, well, you know, focus on the candidate, focus on the details, look at the polling. Oh, let's get to the next cycle of issues. Let's zoom in on this next thing. Mm -hmm. It's so easy to get swept up in that. That's what kind of churns and burns in the news media. But that's not the focus. Like you said, no politician is going to come in and sweep in and save you. And that doesn't mean it doesn't matter who's in the White House or who's getting elected. And it doesn't mean that law doesn't have a role. But the really essential thing that I think you pointed out there is that law in and of itself, even if you could get those passed, which I think the Republicans have proven they're not very good at, but even if they could move the ball in that direction, what you don't control are all these things that are part of the system but are outside of the direct apparatus. You don't control the actual implementation of that law once it's passed. And so it's really key, I think, for conservatives and those on the right to understand that opposition is not simply one or two bills away, an election away, a news cycle away. It's a long process. It's something that's involved. It's something that's complicated. And that doesn't mean it's not winnable, but it means that you need to shift your priorities and your understanding and your outlook if you want to win. This is a lifelong project, not you know, a two-year election where you can just go back to what you were doing before and ignore it once you're done. Yeah, can I just, I mean, I think that's that's very well said. And I, I think that one way to look at this would be, um, you know, Adrian Adrian Vermeule, uh, you know, Pope Adrian Comstock Vermeule the, the third or whatever, great, interesting guy. Um, uh, he was a law professor, right? If uh, your, your, your audience doesn't know him. And mm -hmm. he, he does, I mean, I disagree with him on some, on some things, but he, he makes... A great point about the power of the administrative state. I would say right now, more important than any law being passed by far. I mean, a thousandfold. Uh, I would trade us not passing the right, not passing a law, uh, or possibly even electing uh, any politician to electable federal office, putting anyone in power. I would trade both those things: electing a law or putting anyone in the political offices in the plum book for the federal government for one thing, and that's control over everyone else who works in the federal government. Yeah. Right. I mean, if you, if you took all the employees of the administrative state, uh, similar in a state government, if you took all the employees in the educational system, K through 12 in a state and the state university system, and you put them in with people who thought uh, rightly about these things, that would be far more powerful than passing any damn law. You wouldn't need to pass the law. Laws would take care of themselves. Or they just resist the law. So 
I mean, that's the way to think about it, uh, because right now, you know, it's not very clear. It's not very clear. What what do you do? What do you do when you come in and you're, oh, you're in charge of this, this ship now. You're the captain of the ship. Here's the captain's quarters. Here's the three people who work for you. Uh, everyone else here works on the ship too, but actually they all hate you and won't do what you say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, that's, that's something that I think, you know, the Trump administration learned uh, in a very visceral way. And, you know, I've talked to guys like Andrew Klosser and it's clear that that lesson was learned um, that, which is good. There are people thinking about how to solve that problem. Now it's, I, hopefully the next time someone gets a crack at that, it, it won't look the same way because that will have been considered and there'll be a plan in place, yeah. but that's a, it's a very difficult problem on a lot of levels because even if you're aware of the issue and even if you want to set up the mechanisms to fire bureaucrats and properly vet things and get people passed and that kind of stuff, yeah. what you're really looking at is an apparatus that is so large that it's difficult to overcome because you might be able to, you know, have some control over hiring and firing, but you don't have control of the education mechanism. So the people who are, you know, certified, who are qualified, who have the credentials to become these administrators and these bureaucrats are steeped deeply in the ideology of your enemies. Mm -hmm. You don't have the ability to control the legal system outside of it. So anyone serving inside the administration could basically be opening themselves up for endless lawsuits and testimony in front of Congress, because it's very clear that the left is more than willing to basically imprison any of its political enemies. Mm -hmm. It has the option to, while the right just kind of twiddles its thumbs and complains about candidate quality. I, I think the, the problems are, are obvious. Like I said, we, we know about these but the solutions that you've been talking about, the things that people are going to found are going to be really influential. So let's talk a little bit about institutions, right? We know we want to control these bureaucracies, like we understand the importance of them. But why do we need institutions outside of those in order to influence and control the bureaucracies that then could create kind of those essential changes? Yeah, so you you need to look at what what forms what we're talking about with institutions. I think is what forms uh, human souls, what forms human beings. Um, you know, and, and by form we mean not just bodily, right? Uh, although they do form you bodily and what they allow you to eat or encourage you to eat, right? <laughs> what they mm -hmm. encourage you to do with your body, um, um, whether that's to mutilate it or um, to uh, you know to to nourish it. Um, but but the way in which we, if you don't really like the word soul, you could talk about behavior, like what shapes us, right? And and what shapes us are are things like media, which is educating us all the time. Uh, the hours you spend on your screen throughout your whole life is really the the primary educator in a way at this point uh, for most humans. Uh, and uh, and uh, education, obviously, in a direct way, is is trying to uh, form you. And when you look at all these institutions, I mean, the power they have is that they shape uh, the people who then go into, uh, you know, the government and they shape what everyone, what the purpose is, right? What are you trying to accomplish with power and how does power uh, masquerade itself often uh, and, and tell you that it's, well, this is really for the sake of the common good. Because look, every, every, um, no one, no one ever says, you need to support me because I need to have power, <laughs> right? The way yeah. this works is 
Similarly with, uh, you know, uh, and this isn't even very cynical or Machiavellian. I think it's just true. Uh, you can have different takes on human nature, but, you know, no one ever gives a tip when it comes to corruption or whatever to the hotline because of the common good. They do it because they hate that bastard over there. Uh, you know, no one gets in trouble in our society right now for breaking the law because they just randomly happen to found to be bad. It's that they're in a power war with someone else, right? And then they leak it. That's just the way, um, that's just the way these things work. So anyway, I, I, I mean, go back to your question. I mean, these institutions are what shape the goal, what the purpose is. And you don't, if you're, if you're really just about power or your own self-interest, um, which is something every human being uh, has within them, the desire for just to defend themselves, you're always going to have to make an argument for justice or an argument for uh, why this is good for everybody, right? And you can't just say it's good for me. Uh, that's pure tyranny. Everyone recognizes it as such. And then you got a legitimacy problem. So, so all these institutions shape that debate. They shape what we think we're trying to achieve in common and who we are as human beings. And the idea that you can just, you know, you can waltz in with a couple of politicians at the top of the federal apparatus and solve the problem is, is, is sort of crazy. Like that may have caused the problem over a long period of time. Over a long period of time, you may be able to, or, you know, maybe you could speed that up somehow if you take more power, but you, you, can, you can rearrange that. But you're talking about the way human beings think about themselves, what they think their purpose is, how they live their lives every day. Uh, you know, you have to go to these other institutions. And if they're controlled by people who you radically disagree with about these things, then, it, you know, you got a real problem. And that's the problem we face. Yeah, that's that's very true. You know, Gatana Masca called this a political formula. And a lot of people will, like you said, they'll get cynical and Machiavellian saying, well, you know, the, the basically this political formula is just a justification for power. It's just a cynical justification. But Mosca says that actually it's really essential over the long term that you believe this, that that the you know, while you can reduce this to this political formula, if people aren't bought in, including the rulers, eventually it shows. And so when you have institutions, when you have power centers that are oriented towards the good of the people they're serving, when they do benefit the rulers, because they always will, but they also benefit the ruled, mm -hmm. when everybody's interests are aligned, that's really when power is flowing well. That's when everyone benefits. That's when everybody prospers. And if you don't have that, if you have that that fundamental break, then you have a huge issue. And so mm -hmm. until you kind of realign those institutions to be benefiting people, to be shaping those souls, be shaping those minds, those hearts in a direction that's going to benefit both the rulers and the ruled, you're always going to have kind of a sick society. And so I think in a lot of ways, the key is realigning those interests. But to realign those interests you need to know the people you're fighting for, right? You need to understand the community you're fighting for if you want to better their lives. You can't just have some kind of formless, shapeless blob. You have to actually get in and look at the people and care about them. And so one of the things I think that I've seen you kind of look at and focus on is building institutions that are looking to serve the interests of a group, looking to serve people who are going to be aligned, who are going to have similar values, who are going to share something rather than going for this big, broad you know, umbrella, focusing on something that's truly going to benefit and build a reciprocal relationship with kind of a group that's going to move forward together. Yeah, thank you for that. Uh, I'm glad you noticed. Uh, <laughs> that is certainly the, 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 the goal and, you know, easy to say, hard to do. Um, 
Look, I, I go back on this to the very simple uh, way in which Aristotle talked about corruption, which I think is the classic definition of it, which is uh, really like whoever, whether it's one person, whether it's a few people at the top, uh, or whether it's a democracy where there's a majority involved, if that group of people decides that you know they're going to rule for the sake of themselves, uh, and, and they're maybe they're back scratching pals, and not for the sake of everybody, then the common good isn't served and it's corrupt in some way because, like you said, those interests aren't, aren't aligned. And, and I think when it comes to these institutions, we need new ones because when, when we say like they're intrinsically corrupted, I think people kind of struggle with that. Like, what are you talking about? Like, we'll just reform this, reform that. Uh, well, what I mean by that is that they, they, they really have a deep-rooted lack of principle and purpose, like that from which they arise, like what existence for being and like what they're trying to accomplish. And this gets really, really practical. You know, it's, it's a really practical point, like you're saying, where what is, why does this exist? It's kind of like what Trump used to ask in the Oval Office and scare the crap out of people with, you know? <laughs> why are we in NATO? <laughs> <gasps> yeah. you're, you're crazy, you're, you're insane. How dare you ask that? I mean, why, why does this institution exist? What's the purpose of it? And, and when the institutions get corrupted, and you lose sight of all that, and you're just doing all this crap because it, you, you just have to do it and don't understand, that's when you need new ones. And so there you say very simply, like, it's like the talent network, you know? I started doing this informally. I don't know how it comes to me, but people will people will see my, you know, they'll see what I'm saying about the scene. This is why the investors like me, by the way. Uh, you know, the finance guys have always have always loved me because they they see that I think they see that I see something about what's going on um, that that maybe I'm willing to articulate that other people aren't and other people don't see, um, and you know they they want to they want to know where uh, you know where these things are going. But very very practically, they would they would knock on the door and they'd say, "Hey man, I, I really like your tweets. You know, <laughs> uh, can you get me out of my job? <laughs> yeah. Can I? Do you know other people who believe this? Because when you when you take a stand and you're pre-canceled, you're you say this and people see that you have some legitimacy to, you know, your background or professional, what you're doing, then they start flocking and saying, Hey, do you know, can I be general counsel to a non-crazy, you know, firm? Uh, do you know this, you know, that, that started, I don't know, like four years ago, uh, at least four, four, three, three to four years ago. And, uh, you know, I noticed that. And, and here we are now in, uh, in 2023 and we've built this proto talent network, which we've experimented on. We've iterated over time. And, you know, I don't do the details. There's some great tech guys who also went through woke companies and they understand hiring process. And, and what were we doing there? The problem is you can talk all you want on Twitter and you can have all the suits you want. And it's great. These people need to get out from under woke capital. How are they going to do that? Right. I mean, how do they live a better life? Well, the problem is they need to know like, where else can I work? Where else can I use my talents? Uh, so let's create an in-between, uh, you know, a network where they sign up and we we go to also the businesses who want them and we use our network to quietly build that and just allow people to get out from under woke capital and build things with like-minded people. And, and to me, it's one of these things where, I don't know, I'm probably a psycho in this way because I, I always, some people always like, what do you want to do, Matt? You know, I always end up doing what I think needs to be done. You know, we need to figure it out. And so the talent network is one simple way in which I say, look, we got to connect these people Let's figure this out, and and uh, and that will move the ball forward. I believe in ways that go far beyond what most politicians are talking about.
Yeah, I, I agree with that so much. I, I would trade a large number of theoretical political victories for a reliable alternative network of employment for people willing to stick their necks out there, right? Like, I had this conversation so many times with people, and I was shocked, but but I guess I, I'm not anymore. I would talk to people who, you know, I, I have more opportunity to talk to people higher up and, and you know, and with more influence. And they would just say things like, well, you know, everybody just needs to stand up and, and say the truth. And once they all, you know, everyone has the courage of their convictions to speak out, uh, then the whole thing will turn around. And I'm just like, guys, have you lost your mind? Like, have you been out in the real world in the last five to 10 years? I mean, the people, you know, for, forget the average worker, guys, you know, Papa John was fired from his own company. He was the face of the company. He was the Colonel yeah. Sanders of the company. His face is on the side of the of, of the product. And he got fired from his own company because, you know, he transgressed in, in you know, some video somewhere. You really think some average guy who's a widget in some massive bureaucracy or company somewhere, you know, is just going to like, you know, stand up and speak the truth and they're going to be fine. You can't ask people to charge machine gun nests if you don't have a plan for victory. You know, one or two guys might be willing to walk into the firing line if they think that the rest of the guys are going to be able to move on. But if every single person who runs forward gets mowed down, then no one's going to go. You got to have a plan for people. And, you know, I, I just don't understand how people think that, you know, you've got guys like Jordan Peterson who, you know, a lot of valuable things to say over time, but, you know, are attacking, you know, uh, internet synonymous, uh, mm -hmm. pseudonyms because, oh, well, you know, you're not having the courage of your conviction. Well, guess what? The people in your country who did that and stood up, you hung them out to dry. They lost their jobs. They got their bank account seized. Like, that's not a way to encourage people. You've got to have an alternative network if you want people to have families, if you want people to build, if you want people to be involved in their community. They need a way to do that while also saying the truth. You can't have them destroy themselves and destroy their futures standing up to a movement that you're not willing to stand up to yourself. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Amen to all that. I mean, it's so, it's so, so true. And, and I, I just, I don't understand. Um, I, I, you have to be out of touch in some way. You know, I get why like the think tankers on the right will not get it because they haven't really, they don't even know anything about what's going on. Uh, and I've worked it, you know, I think the best right-leaning think tank, but it's not like this, but it's very, it's just very true. Like people who aren't in the, the, the scene, they're not, they're not talking or interacting to a lot of, uh, you know, professionals. I, I, they just have no idea what's going on at this point. You have to live under a rock not to see it. But you're you're so right, and it's it strikes me like it's really weird. It's also really weird how the rhetoric around this uh, is is kind of poisonous. Like uh, kind of Jordan Peterson on one side saying, "Oh, ha ha, suits, you know, you're cowards," which is completely crazy. Uh, and then on the other side, like there are people who are like, "No, no, you know, never, never come out, never, just stay under the radar completely." And I kind of come in between them and say, "Guys, there's things we can do on both sides of this, right?" I mean. Of course, you're going to stay a suit. You should protect yourself. I, I mean, I was a suit before all this stuff. I can understand the value of it. Um, and and look, the founders were of the country. If you're talking to a boomer, that's right. Some, yeah, some of the founders were all suits. Exactly. Um, because they were they. But so so how do you you know how do you solve that problem? And and it's 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 weird to me that people don't get it. It's not like you're a coward if 
you know, let's take a couple different examples. Like, let's say uh, you're in like some kind of professional, um, like a lawyer, and you're, you know, for most, compared to most people, you're doing pretty well, but you're still kind of paycheck to paycheck or not. You're not like, you know, huge investor status. You're not like a partner in the firm, um, but you're, you're up there. Let's say you're a doctor in the same way. Probably live in an urban area. Uh, you're doing pretty well. Uh, maybe a little golden handcuffs going on, but you know, you're, you're, you're doing all right. Um, and you got a family and, uh, let's say, you know, you're, you're a Christian and, um, you're pretty conservative and, you know, you, you, you're what you're in your mid forties, right. And this all snuck up all around you. What the hell do you want this guy to do? Right. I mean, commit career suicide and say like, I disagree with all of your woke doctrine and just like fall from the cliff, you know, onto the ground. I mean, right. Well, he's got kids, the family, like, where's he going to go? Where's he going to go work? How's it going to work? And what you see is that people are, are willing, uh, the kind of people I'm talking about, they're not cowards. They're just trying to figure out what do I do? That's not insane here. Can I work with people who aren't losers who are of equal talent? You know, uh, I'm willing to take a pay cut. I'm willing to move to a red state, but is this really feasible and possible? Um, and and then let's go even higher real quick, because a lot of people will say this. I was talking about this with my buddy, uh, Matt Marsden, the other day, and I, we both think it's so true. Like, you can't sit there and say, like, I, I used to do this all the time. I still do it for some people. I think once you have over $500 million, like, I want you to say something. But there's this <laughs> yeah, attitude yeah. you will have where you have FU money, right? And if you have FU money, why don't you do X, Y, and Z? But the reality of human existence is it's not as if this is all cowardice either. If you have FU money, they are going to come FU if you go off the reservation. Yeah. You have a lot to lose. It's not as if, in fact, you probably have more to lose because they're going to care more about screwing you if you go off the reservation than they will someone else, somewhere else. So, yes, you can, you can go to war with them, the wealthier and more powerful you are, but then you have to count the cost. And then even if you're not a coward, you're just smart, you're thinking, is it worth it? Right. Is it worth it that I go off all I, I throw everything away that I have position wise because, say, I say I support Donald Trump publicly? Is that worth it or not? Well, that's a legitimate question. It's a legitimate prudential question. Right. So so to me, it's like what's reasonable here is how do we make it easier for all these people to take baby steps in the right direction? Yes. Uh, you know, I. Yeah, no, I think that's huge. Like, if, if, if you really care about this, if you really want people to have the courage and convictions, build something that allows it, build the safety net, build the network, create that, you know, um, you know, not, not to invoke the, uh, the evil name of, of unions here, but, you know, create mutual aid societies where if someone gets canceled, someone loses their job, someone, you know, gets taken out, you know, standing for something that you believe in. They're not just gone tomorrow. They're not homeless tomorrow. They're not just completely disappeared tomorrow. Create those networks where if someone has an option to exit, an option to escape, they can suddenly say, all right, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to say this because tomorrow, maybe I take that pay cut. Maybe I make that move, but my kids will still eat because there's another giant job lined up with people who agree with me and there's a way forward you know, that I can see. There, there, there's a line to victory where the pain... I may endure it, but there'll, there'll be something on the other side. It's not just martyrdom. It's not just jumping off the cliff, running into the machine gun fire. You know, uh, one of the other things that I think I've seen you talk about 
which is essential, is also, you know, conservative or right wing employers and businessmen, entrepreneurs walking the walk when it comes to credentialism. Right. Mm -hmm. We've got an entire system built around people paying vast amounts of money, taking out huge loans, putting themselves in indentured servitude for the rest of their lives so they can sit in a progressive seminary, fund woke ideology, and then come out and parrot it in the halls of power for the rest of their existence. Because if they don't, there's a financial gun to their head. And if there's going to be any escape from this, then conservative businessmen, guys who are putting this stuff together, it's not enough to just to build the network. You need to have a system where you can vet and employ people who are willing, capable, able, trainable, but didn't do, you know, devote themselves to this, didn't buy completely into this indoctrination system. And if you're not willing to do that, if you're not willing to take a chance on people who have the ability, but decided that maybe, you know, eight years of piling money into this system and sitting in front of professors that hate them isn't worth it. Like if you're not willing to engage with those people, then you're missing out on probably some of the best upcoming talent. Yeah, boy, I, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more there. Um, my whole sort of educational background was rebellious in the sense that I did the dumbest thing money wise. You know, I, I just went from undergrad on to where I could read the books I wanted to read and study the actual things I wanted to study. Crazy idea. I know. Yeah, I know. Right. Uh, but uh, and all the stuff I wanted to study was like, what it was the founding really like? Like, you know, what is like a traditional Western elite education for like 2000 years. But you know, it drives me nuts. Here's the problem. The problem is that when you are really thick into credentialism, like you, it really, really matters, uh, you know, where you went to school and you got that Harvard degree or whatever. Um, what's hilarious is new founding is all against credentialism. And I do have like, we need to put a quota against the Harvard people who have <laughs> turned traitors against their schools who are working there. Um, when I was growing up, let me put it this way. I this is to show the depth of my emotion here. When I, was, when I was growing up, I remember going to these things. It's like conservative, you know, uh, young Lebowski urban achievers for conservative, you know, events. And you go to them and be like, oh, yeah, look at the young people. They're great. And uh, you'd kind of be like, you know, I was talking to that guy from that elite school. And uh, I don't want to say anything, but he didn't even know the books I was talking about. You know, he didn't even read those books. Mm -hmm. And we're all supposed to be on the same side. And when you'd say something like that, I'd be like, oh, you must be envious, son. You know, you didn't go to that school. I'm like, no, no, I'm literally saying like, maybe he's smarter than me because it's really just a giant IQ test in your mind. Maybe, but but he hasn't read the books though, right? If you're relying on credentialism to the extent you are now, that means that you have lost a notion of what the substance of education is and what actual skills you need in your business. So in other words, you don't have the ability to judge yourself or your institution or your business doesn't have the ability to judge yourself, who actually has the skills you need. You're lazily relying on that piece of paper and other people to do that work for you. That shows a lack of confidence. That shows a kind of insecure bureaucratic mindset that means things are already far along the route to decay. And what I would say is if, you, if I look back on the older people that I respected in my life, uh, you know, many, some some of them uh, had uh, elite degrees, et cetera. But they were all people who were like, they just saw talent and they had the confidence to say, I don't give a crap where this guy went to school. Like that was a smart essay. Like he's coming over here or the mm -hmm. business guy who like, you know, 
is like, I don't care. Like, I came up from the mailroom. This kid, know, you know, has some skills. We're going to put him in here. I don't care whether you've got these degrees. And we've lost that because we've lost the confidence that we actually know intellectually and practically or, or you know, business, business-wise uh, who can do what. And so, so, so look, if you're a conservative, you know, uh, out there and they, they're out there who's a CEO of a big company, you're going to have to do the work. You know, you, you, you cannot, if you keep funding the system, it will destroy you. It will destroy your business. Maybe you'll be able to retire, but if you keep going by these degrees now and you don't get the message now, you're not going to get it. Now, there are people who do understand that, but they don't know what to do, right? Right. They're a CEO. They realize like everyone in marketing is all, uh, I don't want to get in trouble. Um, everyone, everyone <laughs> in these, everyone in these, you know, I know they're all against me. They're all very woke. And I know the advertising agency is basically like pedo Satanism. I get that, you know, or maybe they don't, but we can make them aware of that. I mean, yeah. you know, the, the worst people possible. They hate me. They give millions of dollars to everyone who hates me. And yet I'm giving a $50 million contract every year, right? To the, to this advertising agency or to this law firm that persecutes my side and, and people who believe what I believe. Now, it, that is a solvable problem, though, given what we were saying earlier. Given that if you looked at a bunch of advertising agencies across the country, you could cobble together multiple alternatives with people of equal talent who's, who've worked at those places. Uh, you could cobble together uh, law firms are already emerging of people if you care about the credentials and all that, who have equal talent, who just would be the non-woke alternative. And that's what we have to actively build. And then as far as getting the younger kids, you know, not from the, the from these schools, there it's like you got to look at institutional alternatives, right? You got to look at other institutions that are outlying educational institutions, look at those alternatives, start to realize the top five, 10% of those kids are going to be just as good, if, in fact, way better than your other students because they're actually educated and, and and then and then also, God forbid that multi-billion-dollar businesses had to do this. But also, why don't you develop tests for what you know you need yourself? Yes, yes, exactly. This is the one that always gets me, right? Like tech has already solved this in many ways. You already have a lot of these, you know, um, uh, 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 IT certifications and stuff. You already have these tests built in. Do you know how to use this program? Are you already well-versed in this stuff? Can you build this stuff? And you just go in, you get your certification, you move on. A lot of guys don't even need to go to college for this stuff. Yes. They just go ahead, they start taking the certification tests and they're done. If you're serious about this, create a test that see, you know, checks out, you know, does this person understand this process? Are they capable of it? Or even, yeah, here's an even more radical one. Why don't you have a program where you train promising people where you, I don't know, you, you could take someone into your business and they, you know, could, could learn under someone who's familiar with the process. Uh, we could call it a, a, a apprenticeship, uh, yeah, yeah. So, something like that. You know, yeah. it's, it's a wild, it's a wild idea. Never been tried before, but I'm willing to bet that, you know, somewhere out there, there, there's a, there's a option for this, but it does drive me nuts when there's just this lazy and slavish um, acceptance. Like as long as, you are bought into this idea that you have to hire from an institution that is basically guaranteed to build a fifth column inside yeah. your own organization. Yeah, yeah, you're just doomed. And like you said, it's a it, it's an admission of incompetence because what you're saying, what a lot of these people are saying is I am not confident in my ability to A, vet management and B, 
find enough people who are then themselves capable of identifying and installing talent inside my institution. They're saying, basically, I need to offload all of this work onto institutions that hate me because I am incapable of finding people to do it myself. And that is just profound weakness. You got to have the confidence. You have to the willingness. You have to make the investment and you have to be able to provide alternatives like testing that would allow you to say, okay, this guy's smart. He was willing to look at this. You know, I've got a friend who, uh, you know, otherwise was, he was a burnout for a long time and he didn't really get anything together with his life. And then one day he kind of uh, figured out that there's this manufacturing place that had high skilled employees. Mm -hmm. And if you went in and you took the test, you could start at a really good job and have a family and have benefits. Mm -hmm. If you just learned this particular skill, took the test and he didn't have to go to college. He didn't have to even pay for any mm -hmm. kind of tech college stuff. He got the manual. He learned the stuff. He mastered it. He took the test and he started, you know, he was able to make a good uh, living, have a family, have kids, just being able to do that. He was smart. He was capable. He yeah. just didn't have the avenue to, uh, to realize that without staring at a wall of debt and four to eight years of committing himself to something he hated. Mm -hmm. And you have to be able to provide alternatives like that if you want to go ahead and find people who aren't completely bought into this system. Yeah, no, and it's exactly right. I mean, I think one thing to, to pray on because what I find works the best with, uh, let's say, you know, elites or people we need to convince uh, is is not so much rational argument as shame. <laughs> and they don't like you know, being shamed because they, they think yeah. they're supposed to know this and they're supposed to be that. Uh, and they're more self-conscious than a lot of regular people. Uh, and so the shame should be, you don't have, like what you said in the beginning, you don't have the confidence to make this choice yourself. And I will tell you, I, it doesn't matter what field it is, whether any, any part of business, education, media, finance, whatever. Those old guys who are just like, who had, it's best if they have the elite degree, right? But they didn't create, give a crap about it. They just recognized talent and would take it wherever they were. The idea you could work yourself up through the mailroom, right? I mean, that is what's lacking. It's essential to shame them on it. And there are a thousand routes to, to shortcut all this BS. And, and you you pointed out a lot of them. I mean, apprenticeship. It's like Abraham Lincoln didn't go to law school, people. You know, uh, he, he he studied some things and he worked with a lawyer, God forbid, to learn how to be a lawyer. Uh, ultimately, that's how you learn anyway. We have to have law schools. That's insane. That's a cartel. That doesn't make any sense, especially now. Get rid of them all, like firing squad for all that. I mean, we, we can we can we can solve these problems by simplifying things in many ways. And, you know, of course, I don't want to idolize the past, but I do think back um, in my own family. I mean, I have a grandfather on one side who he got an associate's degree, uh, pretty fancy, and and went and ended up working for IBM uh, the rest of his life, basically. And, you know, very engineer mind, you know, he stayed doing solving the problems rather than moving up in management, uh, even to the point of more money, because he just he liked to do that. And he was, you know, I think about him a lot because he was very talented, right? And his, in his, the, the peculiar smarts that he had, and he was able to utilize it and provide a, a life for his kids, even though he's the, he was the child of Swedish immigrants, right? On the other side, you got a farming family in, uh, and out in the country. And uh, my grandfather there, well, he's like the black sheep of the family. He ran away to California for a while. You know, <laughs> he, he had some time, comes back. Uh, you know, high school education, what does he do? He goes to a factory, he's able to provide for his family. And he's the guy who, you know, had that job for enough to get his retirement. 
and he's reading books about history and whatnot in his free time, right? Uh, because because he has leisure time, he's he's not this whole the whole the whole way in which the calculus that's being used here for prestige is also screwing us up, right? Because because the idea of what a decent way of life means and is is also been been completely screwed up. And they're like Mike Rose whole thing, right? He's totally right on. Like we don't respect people who actually can make things and do things that we all need to live. That's yeah. insane, you know. Uh, so I don't even know where to begin with it, right? In some ways, but 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 we we have to take these small steps to delegitimize their system, and then and small steps to to take on different facets of this and find things that actually work to just propel people forward in, into real jobs. And then and then third, I guess, is the last thing I said, which is really important, which is what you do a lot of, and we all we all try to do, which is just delegitimize their prestige, right? And just mock mock their credentialing system. It's like you're so lame. You have to use this old system in a country of 350 million people with the same like elite schools that existed 300 years ago, you know, here, you can't find another way. You know I mean? You, you don't have no other way to gauge talent. And meanwhile, look at these places. They're atrophying. They're cesspools. Yeah. I think a big uh, thing there is the, is the delegitimization. And I wanted to ask you about this because there are lots of arguments about, um, entryism versus parallelism, right? Like, do you try to recapture these institutions? Do you long march your way back into the existing institutions or can you build parallel? And if you do build parallel, how do you keep the existing institutions from basically just coming around and snuffing you out once you have some level of success? So I wanted to ask you about that. Do you feel like it's an either or is it a both and do you what is your strategy of entryism versus parallelism so i was always inclined to the parallel uh really my entire life and was told that no that's impossible no that's impossible and now it's like thank god for anyone who did it 10 15 years ago because everything they built is like the only thing you have uh right so i tend towards it on the other hand of course i have a modified pincer movement i do think there are of course there are institutions and places that you can um, reform or take shots at. I would just say like, there's a lot of it to me that's complete trash at this point and no one should be wasting their time other than maybe like, uh, you know, it's like a behind enemy lines kind of uh, recon <laughs> and maybe you're doing some good there by taking a few kids out of the Ivy League schools a year or whatever. Uh, that's fine, um, you know, but, but way less emphasis should be placed on them. Now, the institutions where you can reform or enter and, and do some damage do exist. And probably the, the best example of that is the state system if you're in a red state, right? Mm. I mean, there, I, I don't know if this is quite the long march. It will take a while uh, if it's successful at all. Um, but it would be open warfare, as, as DeSantis is doing, uh, you know, in Florida, yeah. where you're just saying, look, we're not giving up these institutions. This is our state. This is the red state mindset. This is the Florida blueprint. I'm going to put people on the board who I know have a sense of what education is and ought to be and are against all of your BS. And we're going to, you know, I'll go to war and use that. And we're going to march through. Exactly. Uh, so, I, you know, I don't know if that's what most people have in mind. They used to have in mind, like, we'll slowly reform and convince people from within. But if you mean, like, slowly take over in a place where you do have the upper hand, like a red state where there's a strong governor, absolutely. Um, now let's take the private sector. 
there, I think it's good. It, it's good for publicity's sake to attack like the Fortune 500 or Fortune 100 um, with the shareholder revolts on our side. God forbid we did that. Uh, you know, uh, to attack them publicly. Uh, I don't think though you're gonna really you're gonna really do much. Like Disney, for instance, are they gonna fire their creatives? Uh, you know. Yeah. who uh, who are very interested in children uh, no they're not uh, so they're on a they're they're just they're the enemy they're on a swan dive I hope into oblivion we need to make sure that happens but you're not gonna like slowly take over Disney that's crazy right into my to my mind are there medium-sized companies though where it's still potentially could go either way absolutely absolutely so to me it's about realistically what can you reform? And what is so far gone that it's just the enemy and needs to be destroyed? Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point. And I, this is why my argument in the, you know, continues to be for DeSantis in Florida, staying in Florida, is the essential work that can get done there, right? Like, I am very skeptical of the ability of entryism in the federal bureaucracy, like completely mm -hmm. controlling and, and reforming those, at least at this point, yeah. seems almost impossible. But there is a real option of doing what DeSantis is doing in Florida, putting guys like Rufo on, on college boards and that kind of thing. That is something that he really can control. And, and, and you can start to get conservatives comfortable with the idea of we fire enemies and we hire friends. Mm -hmm. the end right yeah. like because you actually have real control of the hiring and firing mechanism mm -hmm. and you can get people used to essential tactics that absolutely have to be taken if you want to go ahead and make any headway yeah that i i, I basically, basically agree with that i don't think um i think there are there are some parts of the federal bureaucracy you could potentially excuse me worm your way in or whatever but you're not gonna like take the whole thing over like you, you could do some good uh, but that's a different dynamic very different dynamic than you have um, at the state level, and and look, I I I think there's a um, there's just there's a ton that can be done if you have leaders that are willing to say what's required. Mm -hmm. And when you say like hiring and firing friends and enemies, everyone thinks today like this is some like radical, uh, rebellious uh, you know thing. I think that's asinine. I mean, I think this is common sense. Like you're talking about people who disagree about such fundamental things that you you can't really have a society with them long term. You know, you're disagreeing about such radically fundamental things about what a human being is, what a family is, what a man is, what uh, you know sexual relationships are, what the, what a citizen is, what a nation is. You disagree about all that. Like you disagree basically about more fundamental things than a lot of religious wars have been fought over. Right? That's right. That's exactly right. Bring these yeah. people into your business in some higher leadership position and accept it, expect that everything goes well. Well, it's about talent. There's plenty of talent in the world, dude. Like this is the crazy thing too. You think that, 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 that in a country of, of this many people, hundreds of millions of people, you can't find equal talent at when you have all these other universities, you know, some of them, which are fairly selective, like, the top 5%, you know, just maybe the top, if it's just an IQ test, okay, the top percent may be a little smaller. But even that is way overrated here when you look at the actual talent on offer. Uh, so so anyway, the, the, the friends and enemies things, it takes you a long way. You go back to like old school businesses in America for the last hundred years. 
there's a lot of friends and enemies that will take you a long way. And this, 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 you're so right about this. This reaction, like, oh, we can't do that. Something about that would be wrong. Like, no, no. Something about that would be right. Would be far more right than the wrong thing you're doing now, which is going to destroy you, your business, and America. And 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 the more that we can figure out, like you and I and others, how to d- explain that to people and show it to people in action, the better. Again, I think DeSantis's move on that board is a step in the right direction because because he's not messing around. It's like, nope. You can tell the kind of people I want. I want to build a Hillsdale type school here. And if you don't like it, you know, and, and that's what you need to do in business. The first thing you should do, like Musk, I mean, he played kind of nice with them for a while. I don't, I don't think he's fully on our side, but over time, what has he done? He's just gotten rid of people. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't want to just rant uh, the way we no. agree on this, right? Yeah, no, that's good. Um, uh, I want to ask you one more thing. There's, I, we only got to talk about the business stuff and I, maybe we need to line up another episode so we can talk about the rest here, but I want to make sure uh, I get at least one more question on the business side uh, before we kind of wrap things up here. The, and, and this is a big deal, but I know not everyone has an answer for this. This is a very difficult question. So if you don't have an immediate answer, it's okay. We can, we can just ruminate on it for a second, but the finance issue, right? One of the biggest problems that I think a lot of people are looking at when you're looking at this business stuff is, yeah, you can do all this stuff, right? Like we can hire for the right people and we can build these networks and we can select for competence and for ideological alignment or or just, you know, uh, shared values, whatever. We can do all this stuff. We can hire the canceled people and give them shelter. What happens when the banks cut you off? What happens when your business is trying to scale to a point where it compete with other people who have infinite funding from all of the you know, global American empire, you know, stuff, and you can't compete because you can't get a loan. Like what, how do people deal with the fact that it seems like the entire financial uh, uh, system is moving in a way to try to align itself, to be able to cancel businesses, even guys like Musk who might stand up and make a difference in this way. Yeah, no, I think that is uh, one of the central questions I ask myself on a daily basis it's one of the central questions that guides what I'm doing now. Uh, why I I kind of threw everything uh, uh, to the to the wind in order to come and do what I'm doing now. Um, and the, the simple answer in my mind is, uh, if we don't build that, it's done. And we mm-hmm. still have some time. I don't think it's over. We have some window of time to build an economy within an economy that will that potentially could scale up fairly quickly. And I do believe that. Uh, but of course, that system, that system is also incompetent, though. Uh, it's very powerful, but it's but it's incompetent and it's sort of blundering. And and uh, and it wants to die in some way. And this is the good thing about the techies, right? This is the good thing about the tech guys, like the actual disruption, like actual disrupt the world. That's what I want to do. Not the fake Silicon Valley. Like, oh, we're going to disrupt this company. I want to disrupt that civic order, right? That commercial order that is now wielding outsized control throughout the world. And what I would say is, I think there's a window of time in order to, to, to build the elements and to separate people out who want to separate out to build those financial structures. So, um, you know, we, we, and to me, it's a race. So number one, like uh, a good example that everyone does know about uh, publicly is the, the states, right? Uh, this red state saying, we're not gonna, we're not gonna go with BlackRock anymore. Mm-hmm. We're not going to use these big investment vehicles. But what does that free up, right? It frees up uh, billions of dollars potentially. Say you take 25 red states, 
that could go now to large uh, large financial structures that are non-woke or they're on our side. Uh, and they start, you know, cycling the money around. Like I would, I will say this as a, I don't know if a white pill, but, but, uh, but it's something that is somewhat positive. These people, like there's a lot of people who do realize this is a problem who are in finance. Like finance is the most black pilled area of the elite sectors that I interact with, you know, uh, uh, and I've seen this for the last five years. It's much more likely that someone in finance as opposed to media, even if they're a pontificator or um, or politics, God forbid, you know, they're all cucks anyway, um, or, or uh, uh, these other these other like tech to understand how bad things are. But the people who are on our side in finance are like, oh, yeah, dude, <laughs> <You> know, this, <laughs> this ship is sailed. If not, what can we do like before the end? Uh, you know, can we separate now? Um, so. I, I don't. I don't think it's over. You, you see the red states taking that step. That is freeing up. You see a lot of people behind the scenes trying to create the kind of investment banks. Uh, you, but but the the fundamental thing is it's not just about the banking like everyone thinks. You know, which is the way they they ultimately cut you off on the front end. That's what you see. It's you need capital, right? You need investors as a group to be channeling money out from underwoke capital into businesses that are actually making money, mm-hmm. right? Not American flag grifts or whatever. Like you need real businesses that make things in America, right? Uh, that are that are aligned with investors who are aligned and you need to get that money out from underworld capital. And that is something that in our offices, we're working on every day, both in microcosm and in like big picture, what do we do? And I don't have this, you know, I don't have, there's no magic wand here solution, but I just, I guess I'd just say, I think you're absolutely right that that is a fundamental reality. And if we don't resolve that reality uh, as soon as we can, I don't see a lot of, you know, it's time to go to Montana. All right. So we'll go ahead and leave it there for now. A lot more maybe to discuss on another episode, but we're hitting up to that hour. We have a few questions from the audience. So I'm going to go ahead and run those through real quick. Uh, I've got three super chats that came from Brad Ditton, but he put them on before the stream started. So I can't throw them up there, but I'm just going to go ahead and read them out. Brad, yeah. thank you so much for your super chats. They were very generous. I really appreciate it. He says, uh, hi, Aaron McIntyre. Been a friend since you were doing uh, UR explainers over Magic the Gathering. Thank you very much. Well, very very beginning of the uh, show, a uh, lot, lot of uh, yeah. duct tape, but we got it going. Uh, glad to see your uh, stocks at a whole time high. Uh, also, longtime fan of a few more, um, few more uh, abbreviations there. I'm not sure all of the. As a pastor, I preach on the need for Christians to not buy from people who hate us, which I think uh, Matthew Peterson would definitely agree with, and to get involved in building new works to the glory of God. How can pastors and churches support your work? How can I talk to other pastors about your projects? It will take uh, us a long time to build a worthy future for our children. Thank you for tasteful banter. This is better than a wine bar. <laughs> well, it's, that's good to hear. So uh, Matthew, uh, you know, maybe you have a few thoughts on this. Um, I know a lot of people of faith want to get involved. And one of the things that I think people of faith are hesitant about is the ghettoization of their uh, their efforts, right? They, they make these efforts to try to fund projects, to try to make something meaningful that impacts the culture to grow people. And then they end up getting kind of chintzy or cheesy projects that only, you know, deliver kind of substandard stuff 
to the choir how do we how can they spend their time well in a way that's going to kind of grow their communities and also raise up maybe you know young leaders who are able maybe able to then enter the kind of institutions you're talking about yeah. Um, by the way, I've seen this stuff about Montana. I I certainly didn't mean anything bad about Montana. I love Montana. I wish I could live there. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm secretly okay with the gulag scenario uh, <clears throat> uh, and uh, go up there as much as possible. And uh, and I love Wyoming too. Um, look, I, I think there's a lot. I, first off, we need to acknowledge that in the past, um, you know, a lot of this stuff was chintzy and just didn't work. Um when it comes to religious communities and, and the pastors. And, and I feel like just, just the, the, the building of real community that helps people in the local level, the parish level, the church level is, is, you know, kind of like the microcosm of what we're talking about here. And really it's the tip of the spear for it, which is, which is making sure that in that, that, that those parishioners, those people that you serve, that they're able to help each other in this way mm. when it comes to jobs, when it comes to, know, what their kids should do, et cetera. Because if you build that there, um, you know, this almost sounds platitudinous, but it's really not. Then all of a sudden, you know, all these other things fall into place for like the larger network of people and everything else. Because uh, so, so in other words, like you want to build these communities where people are starting to think much more practically about how they help each other uh, as believers or having these, you know, shared values or however you want to describe it practically. Um, you know, which might mean building a school, right? Which might mean making sure the church as a whole is trying to shape a school uh, that allows for education. It may mean uh, making sure that people feel comfortable talking about, um, you know, their job situation within the church, right? They, yeah. There's someone they can talk to that's basically like their new founding type person who's going to sit there and say, what's going on? Like, oh, this company is woke, blah, blah, blah. Should you fight it? Should you, should you go? Are there other opportunities? Uh, and I, I think that increasingly, you know, people do get it. They're just not used to it at the local level, which is insane, by the way. Right. I mean, yeah, we've yeah. all been taught like like everyone's been taught like, oh, there's a 1-800 uh, commercial for this uh, charity that will help the doggies. And the doggies are dying and we need to help them. And they feel like they did something good if they send a check into some charity they know nothing about nationally. And the idea of like actually having a way to contribute to something that's meaningful locally. Like, oh, I don't know about that. It sounds awkward, you know? Uh, so, so I, I do think that the churches can actually implement some of this locally, if that makes sense. No, I think that's a really good message because yeah, you're right. So many people just want to outsource everything. Oh, wait till someone else founds this. Wait till someone yeah. else creates this. Wait till someone else five States away builds this. Cause they're really going to care about my community. No, like you have to do this. Like, sorry, but it, it's time to roll up the sleeves. And if you're not in a position to change it, that's okay. But you need to talk to the people in your area that are and, and make that happen. And, and, and by the way, for, for Brad, it's like, who, who in your, who in your church community and your extended church community around you, what businesses are there that are aligned already? Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I want to know about them now. Like I go back to the, you know, I'm the, the Catholic, they always have the same like printed, you know, <laughs> everywhere yeah. it's the same with the local ads in the back. Right. And now I'm like, are these people actually aligned? If I knew that they were, uh, I'm, I'm going there, you know, and right. I want, I want them to tell me that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I want to make it clear, guys. And, you know, um, there's a delicate balance 
with your church because your church and politics will intersect because your religious faith should inform your political practice. But make sure you're not having your political practice dictate the honoring of your faith, right? Like the it should flow from what God wants and the good of your community to then the manifestation of in your politics, not the other way around. And so even though you might have to discuss some level of politics because of just the 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 nefarious nature of what's happening in the world today. Remember to keep God and the community centered in your church. Yeah. And I think that if you have a church that cares about people and is taking care of people and is finding jobs for members and supporting people and taking care of those who are maybe lost their job because they got canceled, that kind of thing. If your church is supporting people, then you will naturally be supporting people who also agree with you when it comes to, you know, this kind of stuff, but, but don't make that the prerequisite alone. Make sure that you're serving God in the community first. And I think that will naturally bring you to then supporting things that will manifest themselves positively in kind of the political the, arena. The way, the way I put it really quick is, is, is exactly right. Is, is that serve God first. And then, and then from that should arise a way of life. That's very practical. Like you mm -hmm. don't have to call it political. It's not, I mean, it is political in like a really broad sense, but uh, of like Aristotle's notion. But in the way most people use political, it's not political. This is about how you live your life practically yep. because of 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 uh, your service to God. So in the church, absolutely. Uh, Christian Smithers here, uh, or sorry, uh, Smitherman for ten dollars. Thank you very much. The dissident right aren't conservatives since we don't want to conserve current culture. Let uh, let us be called builders instead few negative connotations for that term. I mean, yeah, the, the, you know, the problem with conservative and, you know, I, I tell this to conservatives all the time is that, you know, we're, we are no longer the movement that is trying to protect what exists now, right? Uh, what exists now is horrible. Uh, it's corrupt. It, it's decadent. It's, uh, it, it's hostile to a good way of life. And so the term conservative, um, you know, just kind of has to go uh, as attached. I use it because people understand it colloquially, but it's, it's not a useful organizing tool. The same is true, I think, of actually the dissident right. While mm -hmm. it's useful as a kind of a loose collection to identify something very quickly, it's not a very good name. It's not a very good organizing principle. You know, builder, you know, might have to work on that, but it, it has the right connotation, right? It has the right understanding of you know the, that foundation that you are creating to move forward you're no longer there to conserve the corrupt system that's falling apart you're assembling something that's going to be useful for the future and i think that's what everyone needs to understand is powerful and that's why i wanted to talk to someone like michael because i think he does you know understand that in a very profound way yeah i mean i love this comment christian i mean i i i struggle with this too because i i just don't want to use the word conservative like i'll have editors insert it into what i'm writing yeah like, i don't want to i don't want to use that word anymore um on the other hand we kind of have to sometimes it just feels so i feel so icky using it at this point yeah uh, but 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 builder is is what the connotation i like that because you know i don't know if it's the, the word but because it's not destroy which is what everyone thinks and some of you know, some of my friends even and some maybe within myself you just feel the desire to destroy what's out there but that's not enough. And that's the whole point of new founding and kind of my project and everything we want to do to foster a new commercial cultural movement is you can't defeat, you know, a positive with a negative. Right. And it's not it can't be just destruction. What are what are we building for? What are we building? What's what's that thing that we're building that we have a 
broad-based vision of agreement on. That's you have to fight for something. So I, I love I love the vibe. Yeah. Yeah, and make sure you guys you're checking out Matthew's stuff. You know that this does exist. That's you know why he's here. And so you know the some of these projects are still in their infancy. They're in different levels of completion. There's you know it's all being worked on. But you know if you don't see something that you need, you know think about how you can create it in your own uh, community and also how you can reach out to someone you know like Matthew and and see you know if you're able to create that as well. Uh, let's see here. We've got uh, Quitzy, uh ZZ7 for $5 Canadian. Uh, sorry about that, friend. Uh, what is your suggestion for people who work in municipal governments in blue state colonies? Yeah, I mean, that's very difficult. It's hard enough, even, you know, as someone who's worked in, you know, government related positions in red states, that's hard enough. You know, there, there's still a large level of kind of woke uh, bureaucracy built into all that stuff. Blue states even more so. Uh, Matthew, what do you say to people? A lot of a lot of people, you know, oh, you've got to flee blue states. You got to get out of there. It's essential. Uh, other people say, look, we have to have presence in blue states. They're where a lot of the money is. There are a lot of pol- uh, political influences. What do you say to people who are kind of working inside those systems in those blue states? Uh, well, it depends on the situation you're in. I would say, I mean, since you're focused on work in this question, uh, we'll talk about that. I, I would say a few things. One is, I know a lot of people who live in in uh, blue states who live in red rural areas. Totally get that. My own family basically is uh, some of my own family is in uh, Western New York and uh, you know Pennsylvania. I don't know what you call Pennsylvania at this point a battleground. Uh, but uh, I know people in California who live in very Republican areas. Like that's different to me. Uh, that's a different determination. Sometimes there's family involved. You know, can't leave family. I totally get. But I guess if I would just say. You need to be realistic about it. If you're in like blue municipal government, you know, you're in the belly of the beast. I would just say you are like you're behind the Iron Curtain as far as I'm concerned. Like you are in enemy territory. I would see that as uh, can I say this? I mean, I would see that as like quiet resistance central, like like, you know, sabotage, not not in terms of violence, but, uh, you know, but but sabotaging the project. Uh, possibly being able to teach people outside, uh, you know, uh, about how these things work. And then, of course, in everyone's personal life, always you want to be a light to the people around you uh, and find allies where you can. But, uh, you know, I, I, I would just, you're kind of like a missionary almost, right? Or, uh, you know, a spy or an insurgent. I mean, that is really the way I would look at it. And you'd look at what people in those roles can accomplish and do. Uh, and some of those things are positive, like getting a bunch of dissenters together who quietly didn't realize they disagreed. And then you have like a sleeper cell that can potentially, you know, do all kinds of interesting things, mm-hmm. leak stuff, uh, leak information to, to friendly press like the blaze, you know, I um, mean, there's 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 interesting things to do, but you have to be in the mindset of, uh, you know, I am behind enemy lines. I am in the belly of the beast. Now, yeah. am I a missionary? Am I a spy? And I'm, am I an insurgent? Absolutely. No, that's, that's an interesting take. And I think, I think a good one. Uh, so yeah, that's a good answer. And uh, Brad, I'm sorry, I couldn't put your, uh, your questions up there, but I see you are here in the chat. I'm glad you were around for those answers. Thank you again, man. And I really hope those are helpful. We, we appreciate it. those are, are good questions. And I think essential for people to think through. 
All right, guys, I think we got through all of our super chats there real quick. Um, Matthew, if people want to find your work, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. You feels like you've got uh, so many organizations and play, you know, places where things are going on. Where do you want to direct people who want to find what's what's going on? Do you have anything big coming up you want to announce? Anything like that? Uh, I, I'm not I'm not making a round trying to do an announce. There's always things going on. Uh, but I would say if you follow me on Twitter, you know, DOC, MJP, uh, you're, you're, you'll, you can see in my banner a bunch of interesting stuff uh, that I'm doing. And that's probably the best way. And then if God bless you, you're a better person than I am and you're not on Twitter. <laughs> um, you know, I, I would say, uh, you know, I, I, I regard that. I'll make it when I can just take my cell phone and give it to some assistant and say, I'm never touching this again. You know, yeah, there you go. Uh, that's when, that's when you'll know I'll consider myself to have one. So probably, you know, we'll see. Uh, so uh, if you're not on Twitter, I would say uh, newfounding.com. At least check out the talent network there. You're going to want to see uh, that that effort. And we have a list of other things that we work on uh, on that page. So either newfounding.com or on Twitter, uh, DOCMJP. Excellent. And guys, if this is your first time here, make sure that you are subscribing. If you haven't done it yet, the uh, show is now available on all the major podcast platforms. And when you do go over there and subscribe, if you could leave that rating and review, that helps a lot with everything. I really appreciate it. It's already growing quite a bit. It's awesome to see that. And I know a lot of people prefer to listen while they're working out, you know, mowing the lawn, playing video games, whatever. So if you want to go ahead and grab that, just follow the links below uh, the description of this video and you'll be able to sign up there. So Matthew, thanks again for coming on, guys. I appreciate all the great questions of the audience. Uh, really good. And as always, we'll talk to you next time.